The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in a middle-class family and was taught early that nothing was impossible with God. With this belief, she felt she could pursue whatever she dreamed of. So she went to Harvard and here learned that everything in life is intertwined. As her life unfolded, she married, had children, divorced. She experienced working for corporate and being an entrepreneur. But her real direction came in 2014 when she was introduced to the business of bottled water. She became curious about water quality and was disturbed to find it's often not as safe as we assume. A new passion was born. Today, she is leading the way on understanding U.S. water quality and how the consumer might understand it too. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dahl Avant. Hi, Dahl. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And we have limited time together today, so let's jump right on in. You tend to take more risk than most women you know. So how do you view risk and decide which one to take? Yeah, this is my Achilles heel and my greatest strength, I believe. Uh, the idea of, of not having limits on my thinking, it causes me to see either a problem or an opportunity. And if it's a problem, why can't we solve it? Why can't we figure it out? If it's an opportunity, you know, why not me or why not someone that I know that I can help, right, to achieve that that opportunity? It's just, it's my instinct to kind of go go forward in the direction of your dreams, as the, the quote says, right? Uh, and so that risk-taking has, has, I guess that's kind of the heart of the definition of an entrepreneur, right? Uh, but it has taken me on, on some really, really important and incredible journeys. So I, I guess I'll take it as a strength. So do you have a process that you use to decide which risk to take? Or do you just kind of do it intuitively? Or how do you figure that out? Part of it, I believe that, you know, we're led into specific reason, uh, specific seasons. We cross paths with specific people for a very specific purpose, right? So I'm always kind of thinking about purpose in the back of my mind. But also, I believe that, you know, obviously every opportunity, everything that comes across your path is not for you, right? So when I talk to other entrepreneurs, sometimes I say, what is it that you are uniquely qualified to do or to pursue or to birth into the world, right? There's something that you do that's a mixture of all of your skills, your talents, your resources, your access, your worldview that's unique to you, right? And that, those are the opportunities that I think it, it's wise for us to, to follow, pursue, and to see what's on the other side of taking that action. Because they'll tend to resonate and you'll bring the best out of yourself in those, won't you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So like so many driven women, it is easy to get bored which can lead to taking on too many things. So has this sense of being bored gotten you in trouble, doll? And if so, how do you keep yourself out of trouble? It used to get me in trouble all the time in it. Uh, you know, oh, let's learn about this. Let's talk to this person. Let's, let's try this project, right? And what I've learned to do actually through the pandemic, even I slowed down a lot, right? So just taking time, like it's okay to not be air quote doing anything, right? It's okay to kind of sit down somewhere, as my mom would say, and recharge, regroup, think, read a book, go for a walk, and, you know, engage with nature, right? Um, these things that, that women who are very ambitious and, you know, or we're taking care of family or whatever the case may be, we're just go, 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 go. And instead of taking on the next project or saying yes, everyone, every time someone asks you to help, right? 
is this aligned with where I am, you know, my vision and for the year, for three years, right? Is this a part of, of the journey that I've already set for myself based on my values, right? And learning to slow down and not take on everything, I think allows you to align, like I said, back with those things that are uniquely designed for you to have a unique imprint and, and uh, mark on the world. I'm going to stay with this just for a second longer because I think it is very true that women like you and I do get bored very easily. But I think you've brought a, a very good point in that just be very careful when we get bored, that we don't just jump on something to satisfy that boredom because it does get us in trouble. And I know for myself, doll, during this slow time of the pandemic, uh, I have really taken a lot of time to think about when I am bored, where do I want to put my energy that brings me joy and brings me a sense of purpose? And I'm not sure we often think of that. I think we just, like you say, go, go, go. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I find my younger self, much, much younger self, but, you know, you would even try to feel that that's boredom, right? With, with relationships, right? Like, mm. yeah, you know, it's not really the, the long-term, you know, match for you, but sure, we'll, I'll go out a date, you know, sure, we'll go over here. And then now you're dealing with all this other energy, right? Instead of, again, kind of carving out and keeping that, that space, I guess, secret, right? Sometimes if you're mm. oh, bored, sit down long enough, you know, you may get new wisdom or new idea or the answer to something that's been a, a puzzle for you in your life or business because you just kind of settled in and centered yourself. It's boredom can be a gift. It can be kind of an entry or doorway to something greater if you learn to harness it. And I agree with that 100 percent. And, you know, it's interesting because I know both you and I are Christian women and perhaps some of those listening are as well or have whatever faith they follow. But I strongly believe that it's hard for a higher power to speak to us when there's so much noise and we're so busy. Yes. So that boredom can be a gift if mm -hmm. we allow it to be. My favorite scripture, I know it's in Isaiah, uh, one translation, it just says, in quietness and confidence is your strength, is your salvation, right? So that sit down somewhere. Again, that's the way my mom and grandmother would have said it, right? But learning how to just embrace that. It, it, yeah, there's a lot. Of yeah. yeah, and it feels uncomfortable sometimes, but it, but it is necessary. So you've been in the corporate arena and in the entrepreneur space. So how did you decide which path was right for you? Oh, I knew right away. Um, <laughs> in, the in the corporate world, uh, obviously, there's a lot to learn from big companies, which I, I work for and kind of traveling around. You get to see kind of how they build sy systems and structures and teams uh, and kind of put things in place. You know, how do you scale something to a multinational company, for example? You get to see the inner workings of that. So there's a lot of benefit in that mentors and uh, folks who can help you along the path in your career. But I also learned pretty early in that corporate environment that, you know, my entrepreneur, it wasn't a, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm very much an entrepreneur, right? And so wanting to set that vision and and all of that doesn't always work in a corporate environment. And not, not that you can't be a great team player and have those types of instincts. Uh, but I just, I recognize that kind of the way I approach, I guess, problems. I think of, of entrepreneurship as solving problems, right? And the way I approach problems, I'm very much an entrepreneur, for sure. Do you see yourself as being impatient? And the reason I ask that is because, you know, in corporate, there is no room for impatience to a certain extent. You have to follow the system that's in place to get to where the next step is. Yeah. And, and I used to be impatient as I was younger. I've grown to be a lot more patient, but I do think there's a difference between, again, the way a large company works and moves and everything is very slow and takes six months to kind of make a decision or longer, right? Versus, 
you know, I'm a tech entrepreneur. So in the tech world, and as a startup, where everything is very quick. You, you go quickly, you fail fast, right? So you can hurry up and learn and pivot, right? We do what we call experiments. Like we have the general strategy, the vision, obviously that doesn't change, but how do we execute on that? Do we, how do you know that this subsegment of customers are going to like this new feature, right? You, you have to put it out there get some feedback, learn, and, and change very quickly. And so it's very different uh, in a smaller company or a more agile culture. Because some bigger companies are kind of structured and built that way, right? But I think it's more about having the, the ability and the willingness to be agile and to try new things uh, and to move a little bit more quickly. I think I'm, I'm more inclined to do that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. So question for you is, how do you view money? And, and I particularly want to ask that in the reference of how important it is to your sense of self-worth. Wow, that's a great question. Money <laughs> obviously is, the, they call it currency because it's about a flow, right? There's energy, there's an exchange. Uh, you know, there's some value that, that you're offering to someone in exchange. They give you the money, which represents the time and the effort they've spent. So there's value exchange, right? So I, I think of money kind of in that way. Um, in terms of self-worth, it, it's definitely been kind of a central theme in my life. And I'm, I'm on the good side of that. Right. But but growing up, uh, you talked about, you know, middle class family. Like I thought the whole world was like the Cosby show and, you know, kind of walking around. And we're good. Right. Everybody's good. Uh, and then we went through a period of life where my family wasn't OK financially. Um, my parents made some different decisions. And, you know, I quickly realized, wait a minute, there's another side of, of life, right, where people don't have enough. And what is this about? And why is this sometimes follow along lines of, of race? Like what, you know, what are the socioeconomic factors involved? And why do people treat women differently and they treat men in the workplace? And like, you know, as a kid or teenager, you're seeing and learning about all that kind of thing. Uh, so when I went to college and decided, you know, my career path, I, I do think one of the things that influenced me to be an entrepreneur is that I didn't want someone to kind of cap, you know, my ability, what I'm going to earn, right, based on my salary or, or, or anything like that. And um, I do think that now the way I view money, uh, money to me is it's not like a scorecard, you know, so people get into business and it's like, you know, you want to hit these metrics so you can be the biggest or the best or the baddest. It's really not that for me. Uh, I believe that building wealth just allows us to have more choices, right? We have choices about the lifestyle we want to live as individuals, but also choices about how you want to help other people and impact the community and things like that. So to me, money now, money is freedom, uh, the ability to make choices. And it's also a reflection of giving, you know, and creating value in the world. And so I think of it as a, as a good thing. So you almost see it as a tool now. As Absolutely. opposed to a definition of worth. Absolutely. So building a team that is aligned with your vision can be a challenge. You and I both know this. So have you found a secret to doing this? I'm, I'm learning, you know. <laughs> it's yes. a tenuous process. Absolutely. I've had several iterations of my team. You know, kind of the first phase of that was finding people with a vision as big as mine, right? So I talk about limits a lot. So my ability to envision a world where humans are not the sensors of alerting us to water quality. I didn't know that no one had really done that at scale before, right? Until NASA and Google and all these people started calling. So, you know, being a kid from Southwest Atlanta, right? And just, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do certain things, right? So went to Harvard and did this and did that. That's just kind of how I approach the world. So finding people that, that think in the same way, it was kind of a, ch a, ch a challenge, right? So that's kind of phase one. Phase two of, of team building for me was 
there's 10 core values that we have in my company, but the top three uh, are integrity, transparency, and family, right? So somebody who is, you know, great at what they do and maybe have had a great corporate career and, and they're working in other roles, um, but also have the humility to say, hey, I don't know this, right? I, I'm not sure about this. Don't, don't say, yes, absolutely, I can do it. I got it. And you have no idea what you're doing and you keep going. And then six weeks later, you know, we all find out that you don't know what you're doing, right? It's just basic things like that. Uh, you know, people kind of tie their work with their identity and, uh, you know, so just finding people who are transparent enough to say, this is what I know how to do. This is my lane and this I don't do so that you can bring in the resources, you know, to complete that process. Uh, it's actually harder than you think it, it should be, uh, especially for some uh someone in, like in my position, because I have people coming from corporate roles and then they, they see the value of what this startup is going to turn into, right? We go public or whatever the future might hold, right? And so they, they want to be a part of it, but then they take sometimes that too far and oversell their, their own kind of ability, right? So now in the third phase of team building for me, uh, I, we're working on culture, um, just building an environment where, you know, we work together, but not, uh, you know, not in silos, of course, but also we find ways to to make sure our individual strengths are complementing each other, kind of like the Avengers is the, or the Justice League, you know, what I call us now. And just learning how to really do that without stepping on each other's toes and, and really honoring and respecting, you know, having a healthy competitive energy, uh, but all celebrating each other's accomplishments and things. I mean, it's just... I'm learning every day. It's it's a lot, but um, you you obviously can't really achieve greatness without a great team. So I'm going to stay in this lane for a second because you've said something that perked my curiosity even further. When you are building this team and you're saying you want this integrity and and not having people oversell their abilities too much. I have seen myself a gender difference in yeah. that, where men will often oversell and women will often undersell. Do you see that? And how do you differentiate the truth of those two in building your teams? Definitely see that along gender <laughs> lines, right? And um, it, it's difficult because you have women who are underselling. So then it's like, how do I learn what this person is really great at with the, they're not telling you and they, they won't even own it sometimes. Right. So what I try to do is it's not always easy to do, but I try to kind of create almost this trial environment where we're able to work together on some type of small project or something for, you know, 30 days or, or, you know, six weeks or whatever, where we're able to kind of engage, you know, maybe they already have a, a consultancy and they're thinking about joining our team or something like that. So I'm able to engage people and really just, kind of throw them in the, the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Because uh, you quickly learn. I've never seen it go past three weeks before you see what people really are about in terms of their character, in terms of how they communicate, how they collaborate with other people, um, you know, and what, what those some of those strengths really are. So I just try to find ways to kind of just walk alongside people. Uh, and if I get to do that for a long enough period of time, I can start to see what's real and, and what's not, and then make decisions based on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's great wisdom for people to think about because there is a differentiation there that can trip us up as mm -hmm. we build our companies if we aren't careful. Absolutely. We, we miss a gym and we bring in a, what we think is a gym and in the gym at all. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's a rough stone. <laughs> <laughs> 
So building a company is tough and certainly you get discouraged at times. So how do you re-anchor yourself to your why when that discouragement comes? I was just thinking about this yesterday. Uh, I want to kind of almost formalize some of these processes that I've been doing instinctually because uh, you do get frustrated and just enough, right? Or just too much negative energy. I'm not doing this today. Uh, and so sometimes what really helps me is I go back and look at or listen to what other people have said about how my story, my why, or my mission has impacted or inspired them. Um, that might be like some little clip of a podcast or some little something that someone wrote before, or I keep certain um, emails. Every now and then I get an email from a student. Uh, I never knew what a data scientist was. And then I heard you speak and now I'm on this whole career path, right? Or, um, you know, things like that uh, will connect me for sure back to kind of why I do this. And in addition to that, I, I have to go back and kind of connect to people that I care about to my family because that's a big part of, of my why, right? So on those days when I didn't want to get out of bed or whatever the case would be, um, yeah, I talked to my kids and I remember like, how can I tell them, you know, go for it, you can do it, don't stop, you're unstoppable as long as you don't stop, right? All these things. And, and I don't model that for them, right? So when I'm encouraging them to overcome something in their life, it reminds me, hey, this is why we do what we do in our everyday life over here. So things like that. And I think that's brilliant. And, and I almost wonder if it would be worthwhile. I haven't done this, but I, as you're talking, I'm wondering if it'd be useful for us as driven women to take these comments, like the, the things that you were saying, the notes that you've gotten or a clip of a podcast where somebody was talking about how your mission has been such valuable and, and inspirational input for them. I'm wondering if we ought to paper those on our office wall someplace. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but we should do that. Call it. Not quite a highlight reel, but but something like that, right? Maybe a why reminder or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because we do as, as driven women, we have such big visions, and we, we think everything is possible. And then when things don't go the way we expect, it is a ding. Yeah, I mean, it it brings you down. So maybe that why reminder wall is a. I love that. Yeah, I think that might be good. So I might have to incorporate that next time we talk. Mm-hmm. We'll compare our why reminder walls. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So I have found that many driven women only have a small circle of friends. So is this true for you? And if so, why is this? It's very true for me. And I think now it's because, you know, it's just timing and schedules, right? You just go and go. And so there's not a whole lot of time to kind of establish new relationships beyond people that you kind of meet. And of course you make those connections, but do you, how much time do you really spend with those folks? Right. Um, but Overall, I do think, you know, it's difficult to find people who can kind of do the balance. You know, we have this, like you said, huge vision and ambition, but we're also, you know, people. <laughs> and it's just normal when we have our quirks and idiosyncrasies and all of that. And you you rarely find people who can kind of accept and deal with both, right? And so I, I grew up as a performer and kind of a singer songwriter I'm always on the stage and all that so I usually find myself kind of depending on who I'm dealing with whatever persona do I need for the moment right so if you're in CEO mode right or if you're in kind of friendly family or familiar mode uh, but rarely do you find a person who who sees you in all those roles and loves and can embrace and accept all those roles so I think 
those those folks are those gems that you're talking about and pretty rare, pretty rare. So that keeps the circle small. Yeah. And when you find them, they are like gold, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, they are for sure. So others often tell you to focus on only one thing, but yet you told me that you were a multifaceted woman. So how do you manage the many aspects of yourself so you don't burn out? I follow my heart and my gut a lot, right? But I'm just of the mind of, you know, one of my nicknames is Da Vinci. You know, nobody <laughs> told Leonardo da Vinci to sit, you know, you can't do all these things. I mean, why not? You know, you might have a hobby and interest here and you've done things in, in the past in a different area. And now what you're doing currently is in another area. I think it's perfectly fine to be multi-talented, multi-passionate, multifaceted, and to kind of embrace that. I think having the maturity uh, which I learned pretty early on of everything is not for right now, right? There's a mm. timeline and a spectrum and a continuum and a hobby versus, oh, this is another business, right? That I'm going to pursue or, or something like that. And I hear people who are kind of idea driven talk a lot like, oh my God, you know, this would be great. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm like, wait, you actually are <laughs> five things you're already doing. So why would you, you know, add another thing? And so I think it just comes with maturity of, of knowing the difference between this is something I really love. Like I want to therefore read some books about it. Right. Or maybe talk, you know, go on a trip or watch documentaries. about It, it doesn't mean let's go start a new nonprofit next week. Right. And so I think I just am pretty mature. So I know everything is not a life's work. Has that come from experience or did you discover that at a young age? I discovered it pretty young because I'm very competitive. And so you're not going to be the greatest, right, at everything. So everything is not for you to kind of do everything. It could be that, you know, you have a support role in certain aspects versus you're the leader in certain areas of your life, right? And so just recognizing that early on, like, like I said, I'm a singer, for example. It's a great example. Some people are just like, you're soloists which I happen to be, right? But like, you're that one that's going to sing song and lead the thing, do the thing. Some people are in the choir and that's okay, right? And it's not, everybody should not be trying to like be on the mic. That's not, it doesn't make any sense. So just because you you love music or, you know, you, you can learn songs quickly, that doesn't mean that you need to try to go and be a recording artist, right? And so just, just being aware of kind of where those passions overlap with, like, again, what you, you're uniquely qualified to do. Uh, better or different than anybody else, I think is important to to recognize. Yeah. And that becomes part of being very self-aware, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. So do you feel that the darkness of your skin has limited you in what you think you can achieve? No, it's so, so crazy. Uh, the world is built that way, um, <laughs> but I've never think that way. And I don't think of myself as, you know, limited by, uh, the fact that I'm a black woman and my mom's from Havana uh, or the fact that I'm a woman, period. I just, it doesn't really enter my mind in that way. Um, I'm able to really quickly kind of discern who someone that I'm talking to is responding to the fact that I'm young or, or whatever they're seeing, you know, uh, she looks, she's pretty, so she can't be a scientist, right? These, these kind of limits that people have in their mind. And I've learned how to diffuse those within, you know, five minutes of talking um, by being personal, personable and also knowledgeable at the same time. It's just kind of a, a unique skill that I've developed. So I, I don't really think of those as limitations at all. Yeah, I, I had another 
woman that I interviewed on this platform who is also African-American, dark-skinned. And it was interesting. She had the same view that you had, but the way she framed it, she said, we all just have different rappers. Mm -hmm. We just all have different rappers. We're wrapped in something different, but at the core of who we are and what we're able to accomplish isn't defined by whether we're red, blue, green, whatever you know we are. And I think the secret for women listening is to truly view themselves that way, because when they take on the definition as what society has defined them as, then that's how you start to behave. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Uh, but, you know, you, I think as we've gotten to know each other, I, I really don't take on outside perceptions and, and that doesn't kind of filter into my thinking uh, a few foibles along the way, but for the most part, that served me very well. And a caution for both of us and those listening is to be very careful of what you let into that sacred space, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we are human and we can be swayed and we have to be very careful for sure. Dahl, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Yeah. One of the things that I've learned from my journey is, is the importance of, you know, moving forward on that thing that you know, won't let you sleep at night. The thing that keeps coming back to your mind or, or keeps crossing your path, uh, it's, it's for a reason. And so when you start to pursue uh, those dreams or those visions or those little sparks of an idea, you never really know what's on the other side of that. Uh, you know, I had no idea what my life would be like today when I had the idea for aquagenuity, you know, four or five, six years ago. Uh, no concept. Of, of where I would be and the people that I would meet and the work that I would get to do. And so I just feel like it's so important to to honor that, right? It goes back to kind of sitting and being quiet. What are those things that when everything else falls away, it stays with you? It's there for a reason. It's part of your calling. It's part of your mission. It's part of your purpose. And you got to pursue it uh, because, you know, greatness and, you know, joy and the love of my life, uh, all these things were actually on the other side of me following um, that seed of a, of a spark of an idea that was in my heart to do. Yeah, and that takes courage sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, thank you so much for taking time. I know you and I struggled to connect because we are such busy women, but I really appreciate you stepping out of your normal routine and giving us this time to hear from you and to have you share your wisdom. It's been so great and such an honor. And Dahl is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. Mm-hmm.